in the night Your heart fills with dread Probably a murderer who wants you dead It could be a ghost, a demon or worse Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse It's hopeless, you're doomed You'd call a priest if you could You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood I'm gonna kill you Hello and welcome to Freaky Friday It's March the 10th How quickly the month gets away from us Gosh Okay, that makes sense. We're recording this really far in advance. I flipped out for a second and was like, how is it the 10th? <laughs> we're time traveling. <laughs> Hello uh, from the we past. Are, we are currently in Portland, Oregon. Yeah. Well, by the time you hear this, by the time you get this message, we'll be <laughs> at, in the woods of Oregon. Mm-hmm. We will be. We'll be having fun. Well, yeah, we will have had our first two shows on the tour. They went, they went great. Great. <laughs> great. They we were know fantastic. <laughs> Everyone had a great time. We had and a blast. Now we're enjoying some beautiful outdoorsy time. Yeah. It's a it's a company retreat, truly. <laughs> That's what we'll yes. call it. It's a company retreat. That is what but we're gonna call thanks it. Thanks to everyone who came to the Tacoma show. Thanks to everyone who came to the Portland show. You guys and were wonderful. We love all the pictures you we inevitably know you posted. <laughs> mm-hmm. Videos. That one uh, story that that one <laughs> crazy. girl told was so funny. Unbelievable. Truly. Uh, couldn't man. believe it. The whole audience just, we're never going to forget that. They were on fire. <laughs> on fire. Well, if you were there, you know what, what we're talking about. If you weren't and you want to go to another live show, we are on tour right now. So go to sinisterhood.com slash live shows to see where we'll be next. Maybe we're coming to a city near you. Or maybe we will be soon. And we'll announce that soon. Yeah, check them out. Denver, Salt Lake City, Austin, Houston, Los Angeles, San Francisco, dot, dot, dot. There's a couple more coming. Dot, dot, dot. So. So check it out. It's going to be a great time. It's already going great. It's just going to get better. (laughs) And for now, we're going to get freaky. That's what we do on Fridays, Mm -hmm. isn't it? On Fridays, we get freaky. (laughs) On Wednesdays, we wear pink. And on Fridays, we get freaky. Hell yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And let's get freaky. Mm. This first one is just from C. The letter, not the ocean. <laughs> it's from a sea. Mediterranean? <laughs> from Baltic? the sea. Uh, it, it is Ode to an Encounter. This is a totally true story that my husband and I apparently suppressed. Willfully? I don't know. Or maybe we were not supposed to remember. You decide. After tuning into the show and hearing other Texas travel terrors, we both simultaneously recalled the encounter that follows. Several years ago, we were not yet Texas residents. We were traveling cross country from San Diego to North Carolina in my husband's restored forerunner, the perfect choice to take on a 3,000 mile journey. Am I right? The first leg of our trip was really normal. We've made lots of stops at roadside attractions. We went to lots of graveyards, lots of self-proclaimed haunted hotels and restaurants, including a stroll through notorious Roswell. It was a blast. Once we made it to the western border of Texas, the forerunner was holding strong. We planned to spend a day or so scoping out our soon-to-be stomping grounds. But that's when Ish got weird. What was supposed to be a relaxing night ended up with us driving late into the night, or so we thought. We planned to stop for dinner in an hour and get a hotel room for the night. 
I Googled our destination and we should have had a straight shot following the GPS on my phone with plenty of time before it got dark. There we were driving along when the sun went down very quickly. Now remember our plan was to stop for dinner and it's summertime, so it shouldn't be that dark already. We thought maybe a storm was going over and figured it was a good thing that we'd be at our hotel soon. The GPS started recalculating and told us it found a shorter route that would take us through farm to market roads. And like the idiots we are, we followed it. These were just one lane blacktops weaving around and around. Then the scariest thing, short of Hellraiser coming himself up out of the road, happened. My phone died and the headlights went out. They didn't just shut off. My battery started dropping fast, just like the night had done. And the headlights, they slowly burned out until we were in the pitch black. I looked to my husband and said, well, what in the hell do we do now? He said, Ugh, well, we sure aren't stopping out here. So my husband kept driving for what felt like an eternity. We never once saw another car, and we just kept coming to T after T in the road and following each sign into town. We finally saw the metaphorical light at the end of this dark-ass road when the sign said 10 miles to our destination. Except, on the left side of the road, what we spotted was the hugest pitch-black figure you could ever imagine, just blacker than the jet-black sky. I wish I could effectively explain what this thing looked like. Maybe it was changing shape, or maybe I'm not supposed to be able to describe it. Just imagine what it does to your perception when approaching a skyscraper and not grasping the height until you get right up next to it. That's how this was. This creature, void, figure, was in the road. At first, it appeared to be an animal, a very large animal. We saw it there, the void, for miles. It was bigger than the forerunner from 10 miles away. There was no way it was a bull or horse or any kind of deer, and it couldn't be any kind of machinery in the middle of the road. We just stared straight into it, waiting for it to move as we got closer, but it never did. We didn't have any headlights, but the void was so evident. It was significantly darker than the night sky. My heart started racing and I was terrified. My husband looked over at me without saying a word. I looked at him and put my hand over my mouth. He slowed down a good bit and we drove right beside, or maybe it was straight through, the void. I shut my eyes and held my breath. When I opened them, it was gone. The night sky was much brighter now, more like twilight, and in a few moments we saw the welcome sign for the town. My husband said nothing, but what was that? And all I could manage to say was, you saw it? We got to our destination and checked into the hotel. It was only, or already, 10 p.m. We didn't speak about the void again. The next morning, my husband went to the auto parts store to fix the headlights, only to find that absolutely nothing was wrong with them at all. We hurried the rest of our trip, making no more spooky stops, and had no more problems with the headlights. We moved to the area of this encounter that winter and have driven all around every single road here and have never found any route like the one we were on that night. My husband and I have never hypothesized about what we saw that night. As a matter of fact, we've never even talked about it until recently. What do you think that shape-shifting void was that we saw? The lost time, the darkness, the power drain? Did all of our haunted stops invite us to witness a portal to the other side? Was it aliens? Oh, and one more thing. 
I was pregnant when we drove into the void. And let me tell you, this kid is super weird. Wow, that sounds like a reverse. You know, like in Sedona, they say it's an energy vortex that energizes you. This sounds like a reverse Sedona. They got to suck the energy somewhere. It's a Sedonia. <laughs> that was so stupid. I'm sorry. Fantastic. <laughs> well, you hear that when there's like paranormal presences and stuff, people have claimed that their batteries are, will drain because whatever is around is using up the energy for themselves and sucking it away from electronics. Yeah. Could be something here. Maybe you drove through some kind of black hole on the ground. Like I said, some sort of energy vortex. I noticed the figure sounded a bit like the ghost of Christmas future in Scrooge. So the, I'm going to throw it out there. It might be the ghost of Christmas Could have been the future. ghost of Christmas future. Uh, if your husband is Bill Murray, then I think that we've solved it. it also, if your husband's Bill Murray... You should have mentioned that at some point in the story, so All right, I'm guessing C. he's not. <laughs> Come on, C. Murray. Well, uh, as far as our hypotheses, I think that's what it is. It's like, It sounds like death, paranormal. Maybe you came to that crossroads that they talk about where it's the devil meets you at the crossroads. That's where, Bone Thugs and Harmony. What, uh, but. Yeah, I was going to say what Bone Thugs and Harmony taught us. Mm-mm. Um, Yeah, I or uh, maybe. And yeah. This is just speculation. Maybe. You drove into another dimension. Fuck. You didn't see any other cars. You were just going in headlights. You might have been in the upside down. Yeah, it's like the outside back rooms. That's the upside down. Mm, Outside outside back room, upside down. Yeah, outside (laughs) back rooms is the upside down from Stranger Things. That must have been where you were because that is creepy. All dark and everything gets sucked out. Well, that's wild that you didn't see it. So I think the other dimension... And it is the Scrooge dimension. That's yeah, where you were at. You're in the Scrooge dimension. Final answer. Is the Scrooge dimension the sequel to Scrooge? The Scrooge dimension? The Scrooge dimension sounds like a Michael Crichton novel. That's right. <laughs> where it's like the firm, but it all happens on the set of Scrooge. Francis Xavier Cross. <laughs> <laughs> Had no idea. He was tapped by the government for a special mission. Well, anyhow. Thank you so much, C, and we're very glad that you made it out of that alive. This next one's from Hannah, and it is called Sunday Scariest. Hey, freaky friends. Thanks for rocking so hard. My awesome roomie recommended y'all to me when we moved in together back in November, and I've been subscribed and listening ever since. By the way, our house is round, built in the 70s on a lake in North Georgia. It's super quirky and can certainly be spooky at times. Our place sticks out like a sore thumb next to more than a few multi-million dollar lake houses. And we've joked since day one of moving in that we will surely be eaten by our rich neighbors who must be part of a cult. I love listening to your podcast specifically for your amazing storytelling, the subjects, your hearts for victims, and your humor. Keep up the great work, you intelligent and empowered humans. The story I want to tell you takes place back in June of 2011. I was 19 years old, and life was simple back then. It was a typical sweltering southern summer Sunday. It's hard to beat the heat in the peach state, so I took one of my younger brothers, I'm the oldest of six kids, to Sonic to get a cherry limeade, because, duh. We blasted our music and the AC on the ride there and the ride back. Upon returning home, I decided to go over and chat with our next-door neighbor, who was sitting out on her front porch. She was a mom of six kids. We were homeschooled, they were Catholic, 
It was a fun time, and we were very close. Funny enough, each of our families had four girls and two boys in each family's lineup of craziness. We were shooting the breeze when out of nowhere, we heard a woman screaming. At first, we couldn't tell where it was coming from, but then realized that it was a woman across the street, kind of catty corner to our respective homes. The house that she was coming out of was a rental house, and although she'd been living there for months, she always stuck to herself, so we never met her. She was clearly in utter distress and begins walking across the street towards us. We realize quickly that she's bleeding, and we suppose that there must have been some sort of accident. Having no idea what to do except sit her down, we grab a lawn chair from the yard, and my neighbor friend yells for her husband to quickly get some towels so that we can try to stop whatever bleeding's occurring. We learn the woman's name, and things take a terrifying turn when we find out from her that she'd just been stabbed multiple times by her adult son inside their home. All of this is happening in a matter of seconds. I grab my phone and call 911. While I'm on the phone with dispatch, explaining all that we know and what has happened, we all see the woman's adult son come out of the house across the street, holding a large, bloody kitchen knife. There was also blood all over his person. It was truly something out of a horror movie. He stood there blankly for a moment, appeared to see the commotion as everyone was frantic, and actually went back inside their house. Thankfully, my dad was outside doing yard work at the time, and he ran over with a big pruning tool in his hands. It was good to have another person with us. I was told the police, EMS, and the fire department were all on their way, and to run as fast as I can to make sure that all of the neighbor kids, as well as my siblings, are inside, safe, and away from this crazy man. We had no way of knowing if his violence could extend towards any of us, especially after seeing what he'd done to his own mom. Amazingly, the woman was still conscious somehow, despite the location and severity of her wounds. Emergency personnel arrived on the scene in record time. Our neighborhood was fortunate to be very close to the city police and fire department. They started treating her immediately. Law enforcement swarmed the residents and instantly detained the son. It was all truly so horrific, but could have ended in so much more of a terrible way. We stayed outside for a while to explain the whole situation to the authorities and wrote statements once everything was under control. Several days later, we learned that our neighbor had been stabbed three times, and one of the stab wounds missed her heart by a quarter of an inch. It was truly a miracle that she survived. We also learned that the son had attempted to severely harm himself between the time of the stabbing and when authorities arrived on scene. A heartbreaking detail that I won't forget is I remember the victim being worried sick about the safety of her two dogs, which was heartbreaking as they were inside the house with her son while all of this was going down. Turns out they were not harmed, which is another miracle of the whole thing. I am uncertain of when the trial for this case took place and when the son was convicted of everything but he is probably not getting out of prison for a very long time. This whole incident changed the way I think about situational awareness, not to mention protecting myself and those around me. Thanks for sharing these true accounts each Freaky Friday. It's great to have the knowledge of all these experiences and to feel less alone in this crazy world. Wow. That is straight out of a horror movie. Yes, you can. I mean, picture it there. You got your Sonic, your It's a Sunny Day and someone comes running at you. Uh, yeah. Uh, to think what was going on in the few moments before she ran out, too. That's the kind of stuff that always 
sticks with me. But I'm a quarter of an inch. Couldn't have been much closer. So very, very lucky she survived that. I hope the son got the what sounds like much needed help that he needed too. Yeah, that's something that you're you're right. Being close to the city fire department and the police station, that is the difference. When you're stabbed that many times in that sensitive of an area, that's the response time is the difference between mm-hmm. life and death. And having people on the scene, exactly like like you said, Hannah, having people on the scene that are willing to jump in and everybody saying, "Okay, you go ca- watch the kids. Go go check. Call nine one one." Make sure this is how, ha- you know, have everybody mm-hmm. take a position and work together as neighbors and, and just people that want to help. Yeah. Luckily, he went back inside and that was the end of that. Yeah. Nobody else was hurt. Sinisterhood will be right back. Well, this next one is from Matilda and the subject is psychic powers and my past life. Hi, ladies. I've been a huge fan of the podcast since the early days, and I love your balance of respect on the harder stories and comedy when you're sharing lighter stories. As the title suggests, I want to tell you about experiences I have had throughout my life involving seeing the future and feelings of a past life. So, as you always say, let's get into it. Starting at a very young age, I have intense memories of experiencing deja vu, but not just the feeling of having experienced something before. It's a feeling of the repetition of the moment at hand and also being able to know what is coming next. I know what someone is going to say. I know the next motion that's going to happen. I can see how a conversation is going to play out all in a moment in my mind. It happens randomly and I can't control why or when. When I was in high school, it happened quite a bit, but I had never told anyone about it. One day my sophomore year, I was in English class with one of my closest friends. The bell rang, and the students were settling into their seats, but our teacher, Mr. M, wasn't in the room yet. My friend was turned in her seat talking to me, and suddenly, I knew what was going to happen next. I told her, Mr. M is about to walk in that door and talk about cinnamon muffins, but he isn't going to be able to say the word cinnamon. She looked at me like I'd lost it. Seconds later, Mr. M stepped through the door to the classroom and announced, Sorry, I'm late. I was grabbing a cinnamon muffin from Ms. P. He paused and then followed up with, Did I just say cinnamon? Obviously, I mean cinnamon. The class laughed at his inability to pronounce the word, even in his correction, as my friend turned in her seat to look at me. I smiled with something like pride that I'd been right, but she had paled. She asked, How did you know that? but then immediately added, no, I don't want to know. Never do that to me again. That was 20 years ago and only one of the many, many times that it's happened to me, but I took her reaction to heart and have never mentioned it to anyone again. The situations were usually like the ones I described, mundane, ordinary things that were going to happen in the immediate future. Sadly, I have never predicted lottery numbers, Super Bowl winners, or anything else profitable or useful. As I got older, it happened less and less frequently, and now it happens rarely, probably less than once a year. Now to pivot to something I do still experience, and that is a strong feeling that I have had a past life, and I think it may have been a hard one. It started in my early 20s when I would crave cigarettes, except I'm not a smoker, never have been. In fact, I was born with horrible asthma, and I still have shitty lungs. Quite often, though, I just think about taking long, slow drags on a cigarette, 
especially while driving. When I'm driving through rougher neighborhoods past boarded up houses, it feels, for lack of a better word, nostalgic. I think of climbing through loose boards and the dim interiors like it's a memory, except I've never experienced it. In college in the city, I saw a woman who was clearly struggling with substance, substance abuse leaning on a friend for support. And my thought was, I've been there, that's me. Except I haven't. I've never taken any drugs, not even MCs. And with the exception of a couple nights in college, the extent of my drinking is pretty much a single beer with a friend or a champagne toast at a wedding. But when I encounter people struggling with substance abuse, especially when I see two women together, my first automatic thought is always, that's me. I chalk it up to an overactive imagination, but frankly, I'm not that creative. In just about every other aspect of my life, I'm a down-to-earth, full-fledged realist. I just can't get past these memories of a life I haven't lived, at least one that I am not currently living. Every so often, I think about trying to tap into these areas or exploring them in some way, but I can't figure out how to go about it and how I would manage talking about it to people in my life. Between growing up religious and a career in the hard sciences, there isn't much room for exploring psychic powers or past lives. I wouldn't even know where to start. I've toyed with the idea of meeting with a medium of some type, but I'm worried about being scammed. I obviously believe in the possibility of people having connections beyond our physical world, but I also know there are people who just learn to read facial expressions and take advantage of vulnerability. How do you tell the difference? I'd love to hear what you ladies think. Thanks and keep it creepy. Wow, that the cinnamon cinnamon muffin. That's that is very specific. So specific. I mean, at the exact moment, too. And I mean, that's the kind of stuff back in the day they burn you for. So <laughs> well, luckily, uh, that didn't happen. You did scare the shit out of your friend. Yeah. You know, and you're you're nicer than me because I would have just used this as an opportunity to do it more and more. But you <laughs> said, I'm going to be respectful. And I don't know if maybe that's why it kind of started to go away as you got older. But if it were me, I would definitely explore this with a medium. As far as finding a reputable one, I would... Google, just look in your area for ones that have good reviews. I mean, there are definitely scammers <clears throat> for Rima's studio, psychic studio in Salem, Massachusetts. Um, but there's also, you know, I'm sure some legit ones. So, yeah, even talking to like um, a therapist or a, a hypnotist, a lot of people with past lives stuff do hypnotism to kind of like get into that mind space that you can't really get into otherwise to tap into some stuff yeah i think those are all good ideas mediums uh reviews are great there's also some mediums there's a optional code of ethics that some of them subscribe to that usually they make it known on their website like i'm basically we promise not to be scammers that we're thoughtful about it we take our role seriously as kind of counselors at the end of the day they're not licensed counselors but they understand people come to them be in vulnerable moments because mm -hmm. they have questions and so if they identify themselves as that i have a theory on why it happens less and less as you get older i think our brains get more and more cluttered as we get older and one of the things that sitting zazen and meditation is supposed to do is to help you sort of wipe your slate clean knowing the next day it's going to get dirty again and just going that's what we do with our brains we wipe them clean with meditation then they get dirty again we wipe them clean and they get dirty but if you let it pile up 
over, I don't know, how old am I, 36 years or however long I did, I think you lose touch with certain parts of your brain that consistent meditation can bring back and coupling that with medium therapy, journaling about it, just letting your hand write and be like, write, start with the word I remember and just see if it's stuff you remember from your childhood, Mm -hmm. more incidents that you remember and cigarettes, smelling cigarettes, you know, not, I'm not saying go smoke one, but if you smell it and then meditate and think on it, what does it bring up? Mm. Maybe something. All good ideas. Yeah. Keep us posted. We love an update. So if anything comes of that, please, Matilda, let us know. Oh, yeah. And we walked up on one at the psychic fair a long time ago. And I think that was the one that was like, what do you think your past life was? And I was like, I think I was a mud person. (laughs) She was like, okay, well, um, not a great one. That was not the best one that I've I've seen. You know, I'm still on her email list. (laughs) (laughs) Well, good luck. Sinisterhood will be right back. Thank you. Well, this next one is from Rachel, and the subject line is, My antidepressant caused hypnagogic hallucinations, and my mother-in-law jumped into a car full of teenage boys. Hi, ladies. You're awesome, and I look forward to Wednesdays and Fridays, as well as the Patreon episodes. Thank you for bringing to light the stories that you do in a respectful way, while still making it enjoyable to listen to. I've been meaning to write in since your episode about the hat man and finally made time. So, let's get freaky. In early 2017, I finally came to the conclusion that I have bipolar. My husband is an angel and put up with so much for me until finally he couldn't. He told me that I need to get some help and held my hand through it all. You know the saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink? Well, he led me to water and I knew I needed to drink. My doctor put me on an antidepressant and a mood stabilizer. After a few days of taking the medication... I started having, what I didn't know at the time, were hypnagogic hallucinations. I would be in that in-between state of grogginess and actual sleep when I would realize that there was a black shadow figure of a tall man in the corner of our bedroom. I knew he wasn't real, but I couldn't bring myself out of that state. I also couldn't move or talk. I would make whimpering sounds because I truly thought this shadow man was going to come and get me and drag me back to whatever hell he came from. The figure I saw looked more like Slender Man rather than a Hat Man. Tall with no face, just black, and he had talons that would reach for me. The talons felt like they were so close that they would pull me right out of bed. He also reminded me of Mr. Scratch from an episode of Criminal Minds. If you haven't watched that episode, do. It was a wild one. The first couple nights, I was able to work through it, but it kept getting worse. My husband would hear me whimpering and would literally have to shake me and yell, Rachel, Rachel, wake up. Sometimes I was able to mumble about the man in the corner and he would say, there is no man. You're safe. Wake up. That would bring me totally out of it. And then I'd be able to actually go to sleep. My husband had heard of hypnagogic hallucinations before, so he knew this was what was happening to me. I went back to my doctor and told her what was going on. She didn't quite know what to think of it and had never heard of hypnagogic hallucinations. Obviously, they had to do with starting my medication, but instead of taking me completely off my meds, she decided I should take the antidepressant in the morning and, what do you know, I stopped seeing my slender man slash Mr. Scratch and was happily able to drift off into la-la land the very first night. Isn't it wild what meds can do to you, especially psych meds? So many people have these just because they have them, 
brain chemistry, stress, etc. Thankfully, mine were short-lived and they were due to something fixable. The next story is something that happened to my mother-in-law while she was walking through one of the parks in town with her friend. The park is a paved loop, down a hill, then back up with woodland on all sides. You can walk, bike, and drive through this park. I remember so many times my mom would drive my siblings and me around the park in the late evening to get us to calm down so we could go to bed when we got home. Talk about a great tool for single moms. While my mother-in-law and her friend were walking, they saw two men run through the wooded area with what looked like guns. When the men stopped, it looked like they buried the guns, then looked up to make sure nobody saw them. Well, my mother-in-law and her friend saw them, and they knew this wasn't good. The men started running towards them. Luckily, a car was driving by. They stopped the car, opened the doors, and jumped in yelling, Drive! 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 Unbeknownst to them, it was a car full of teenage boys. Picture it. You're a teenage boy, joyriding in the park after school with your buddy, having a good time, probably slamming some monster energy drinks, when all of a sudden, two older women stop you and jump into your car yelling, Drive! I'm sure they thought these ladies were crazy. Thankfully, the boys drove off without protest, and once they were far enough away, my mother-in-law and her friend explained what had happened. The boys dropped them off at their cars without further incident. I'm all for the Second Amendment, but I'm not for burying weapons in the woods and running after someone if they see you doing it. Thanks for reading my stories, and keep it creepy. Rachel. (laughs) I'm picturing these teenage boys and man you know that they still tell this story too because that's not often that that happens but i think it's so unexpected i think you just your fight or flight kicks in and somebody tells you to drive and you're like shit they look like your moms yeah right it's like damn this is really weird uh clearly we're not really threatened but we are definitely weirded out yeah, if you have a mom-like figure, it's almost like the teacher complex, the mom complex. You you freeze and you're like, yes, ma'am. Yeah. Okay, yes, we're driving. Yeah, we're driving somebody else drive. You're like, okay, sure. Yes, ma'am. Hit the pedal. Oh, man. But that is, all of that is very scary. Don't be burying weapons in the no. woods. Clearly, they're trying to hide them, but also somebody could find those. Right. And then you're what are you going to do when you run up to those two older women? Were they going to be like... your weapons are buried, idiot. So, uh... You, you done goofed there, but also, you know, just let everybody be. They weren't going to do anything. Come on. Yeah, they're, they're out for a walk. They're not going to rat you. They're not police informants. Mm-mm. At the most, they make a next door post, I think, about <laughs> what happened. But you're right. Yeah, you buried your guns. What do you think you're going to do? Also, it's like Nate Bargetti talked about burying a body. He's like, if you try to dig a hole, you get two, three inches and you're like, it's fine. <laughs> like, they're not going to dig deep for those guns because digging is hard. So you're digging right. It's a hazard. Hard. It's a hazard for kids. Especially when it's daytime and there's people around. I think you're probably pretty rushed. There's a lot of holes in that theory of like, let's go right now at noon, high noon, where everyone's at the park and bury them now. Yeah. But no, bad right move. where all the older women walk. <laughs> Well, and to your story, Rachel, of the mood stabilizers messing with you that way, I've been on psych meds that have never given me these issues, but have definitely affected me in other ways. And you were correct that meds can do some wild things to you. 
Yeah, and like you said, it, at least in Rachel's case, it was fixable, you know, switching the time or whatever. But I've had night terrors that were this, just due to stress. And that's one where mm-hmm. you're like, okay, well, I'm going to have to deal with this stress. I have seen that episode of Criminal Mind. I was just about to ask, what is who's Mr. Scratch? So he's a serial killer. He comes in in maybe season 10, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. And the people, so people are having these weird dreams and telling either their therapist or their partners, like, I see this guy and it looks kind of... Kind of like Slender Man-ish, except for no head. So it's just long, like long tentacly kind of arms. Mm. And they're all like, I'm having these dreams. And then I believe they get murdered. And then the BAU, so the team, the Criminal Minds team, has to figure out, okay, well, they're clearly not being murdered by like Slender Man. So it's, it has this supernatural element. Mm. And then you figure out how the serial killer is causing these type of hallucinations with people that he's targeting. And then... Oh. It criminal minds after season about 12 goes wheels off. And then I believe Mr. Scratch was in. There's a, a jailbreak Arkham Asylum type storyline where a bunch of serial killers escape from the prison. And then the BAU's wow. like, there's a whole team of serial killers on loose. <laughs> Did they team up and like join forces? Yeah, like Avengers like style, Air. but for yeah. serial killers? Yeah, like bad Avengers. Yeah, for sure. Well, good for them for finding <laughs> something in common with another fellow man. It's teamwork, right? They've mm-hmm. learned in, in incarceration. They've been rehabilitated and they've teamed up. Well, and then I think Mr. Scratch is the final. They they have to go through the whole season catching each one. And I believe he might be the, you know, the main target that oh. still got away. But that image He's the is... Joker. He's yes, okay. <laughs> Mr. Scratch is the Joker, <laughs> and you know the actor that he chooses the scene, the guy that plays the serial killer behind it. But it is this creepy image, and if you think about, I mean, on paper, hey, I saw these really weird images, and then you end up dead. Then yeah, your family or you're like, okay, well, did they? Was it a serial killer or was it the Slender Man? It's Criminal Mind, so of it's course Mr. it was Scratch. A serial. It was Mr. Scratch the whole time. The whole time, the whole... in the dreams with whatever he killed him with i don't know what it was that's what they need to do each at the end of each episode of criminal minds is make it more like clue Clue style yeah wrap it up uh well they did uh what's his name spencer the guy that played uh matthew matthew gray goobler the one that played dr spencer reed he was always a bit like charlie on it's always sunny because he would always be putting pins on the maps so he would there's a lot of killers to keep up with you got to especially when they're all getting loose Mm -hmm. well thank you very much rachel for sending that in Sinisterhood will be right back. This next story is from Heather, but not me, Heather. And the subject line is inspired by last week's Freaky Friday Boston Marathon bombing story. Hi, ladies. Love you both. Love the show and hope you come to Boston on your live tour. Anyways, let's get freaky. I was inspired to write in after hearing Catherine's story last week about the Boston Marathon bombing because I, too, have a sliding door moment surrounding that event and her story really moved me and stirred up all those emotions again. My group of friends and I had a tradition for years where we went to the Marathon Monday Red Sox game, and then we would head down to the finish line to watch some of the marathon and cheer on the runners as they finished the race. This particular year, a majority of our friends could not make it to the game, so one friend and myself had made a plan to just head to Fenway morning of, scalp some tickets, should I be admitting to that? And keep our tradition alive. That morning, however, on our way to the train station for reasons I don't remember, we ultimately decided not to go to the game and to just go get breakfast instead and call it a day. Cut to a few hours later. My mom calls. 
Honey, oh my God, are you okay? Are you somewhere safe? Me, totally confused. Yeah, why? What's going on? My mom, are you in Boston? Where are you? Me, now properly freaked out. No, I'm home. We ended up not going to the game. Why? What's going on? My mom, oh, thank God. I was so worried. Then she starts crying. There was a bombing at the finish line of the marathon, and I know you always head down there after the game. My blood went cold as I put on the news. I couldn't believe what I was seeing and instantly burst into tears. I'm crying as I write this now, just thinking about it. We could have been right there. We could have seen horrors that would have taken a lifetime to cope with. We could have been seriously injured or killed. I don't believe in God, but someone was 100% watching out for us that day. I'll never forget the week that followed, the manhunt that ensued, the lockdown of the city, seeing busy Boston streets completely deserted, that bastard being captured, and learning all the people I knew that were directly affected by this tragedy. From my boyfriend's sister, who was an ER trauma nurse at Boston Medical Center and was on shift as victims started pouring in, to a friend who was running her first ever marathon that day and had crossed the finish line just two minutes before the bomb went off, to a coworker who was best friends with the mother of the eight-year-old victim, Martin Richard, and had known him since he was a baby. I'll never forget hugging her as she cried. Just all around, utterly senseless fucking tragedy. I really want to enforce your point you made last week of the ripple effect that a terrorist act has on everyone in so many different ways. And even if this doesn't make it onto the show, I truly appreciate the time you took to read this and hear my words. Again, I love y'all. Keep it creepy, friends. Well, we are certainly glad, Heather, that you and your friend were not down there. Does sound like somebody was looking out for you. The universe was just steering you in a different direction that day. But it's very unsettling and scary to play the what if game. And as my therapist says, like, you can play it for a bit, but you can't live there because that's when you really start to get into a a dark place you don't want to stay in. So you're right. It affects people in all sorts of ways for years and years after people that you wouldn't even think, but it does. And so thank you for sharing your story with us. Yeah, definitely. And thank you for sharing the stories of all the people you're related to mm-hmm. that, that were impacted because we forget that it's not just, okay, there's people on the scene. Those victims go somewhere. They go to a hospital mm-hmm. where they're treated by nurses, where they're treated by doctors and med techs and everybody taking care of them and the carnage that they're going to continue to see. And then they're going to go to physical therapy. So they're going to have physical therapists and people in the rehab center helping them out that the, and they're affected by their story. And Man, it's just, it's it a, ripple a ripple effect. effect like you yeah. said, yeah. Yeah, and, and the image of Boston, which is such a bustling city, mm-hmm. how devastated it can be afterwards. And everybody was on edge during the manhunt, which we I, I don't think we talked about um, in the last story. But that was a, a terrifying time because yeah. this person was willing to so blatantly, so boldly attack a, a storied institution with so many people around. And now they're on the loose. Like, it was scary. It's terrifying. And then Reddit descended, and they started naming the wrong people. Um, Wasn't the guy found in a boat? Yeah, I believe. In somebody's backyard, like, hiding out under a tarp in a boat? Yeah, it was like they had the boat cover on it, for sure. Yeah. And that's terrifying, too. Then it's this family that's like, our home has now been invaded, and the the houses they'd crawled through. So it's this insidious nature. But thank you for sharing your words, because... Mm -hmm. 
I was watching, if you've ever watched uh, Explained on Netflix, it's not a new show, but I catch a couple episodes and we were just watching it and they had psychologists talking about uh, the episode was on Apologies Explained and but a pertinent part of it was at the end of the apology, kind of coming together with the other person and writing a, a new narrative of what happened and what we're going to do going forward. And the psychologist said, truly, there is power. And we've been saying this just because it makes, you know, we found it personally, there's power in storytelling. But the psychologist said, no, it's proven that in the wake of something horrible happening, grappling with it via putting it into a narrative and making it into a story truly can help heal. So thank you for doing this for yourself, but also for sharing it for anybody else that yeah, could have Yeah, for sure. It. I mean, you were inspired by another person's story, and I'm sure someone will be inspired by yours. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. Thank you. Sinisterhood will be right back. Well, this next one is from Jenna, and the subject line is Campfire Stories, the old murderer on the loose joke. Hey girls, I had almost completely locked away this memory because it honestly was probably the most terrifying moment of my life. It felt like a scary movie, but in real life. In 2014, during my college years, I worked at a Christian summer camp. And like any good summer camp, it was located in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by 300 acres of woods. Throughout the week, campers would work toward winning the coveted midnight pizza party on Thursday the last night of the camp week. Early Thursday evening began as normal. After the last evening service of the week, we had free time for all the campers before the winning team was announced. Then there was an urgent message for all the staff to gather. It was in that meeting we learned there had been a drug deal gone south and the individuals were shot and killed. Two or three suspected shooters were on the run. Because one of their trucks was located very close to our campground, it was believed they were in close proximity to the camp. We had never had a situation like this before. The local authorities informed us it was possible the suspects would try to hide out in large buildings. Because of this, our leaders put together a quick-thinking plan to gather the campers together in a calm manner while six staff members went and cleared the cabins. We then had plans to safely escort campers back to their cabins. I was selected to go with two other staff members to clear out our girls' cabins. I asked one guy to walk in front of me and the other to walk behind me. I've seen enough scary movies to know that's the safest place to be, besides not being selected to check the cabins. The fear looking under beds and in closets and shower stalls was real. Ugh, it still gives me the chills. Once the cabins were all cleared, the staff returned back to the main meeting area with all the campers. Up until this point, campers were still unaware of the situation and were blissfully playing minute-to-win-it type of games, waiting to find out which team was the winner. Once given the all-clear, our director gave them some grim news. One youth leader laughed out loud and said, Ha ha, good one, the old murderer's on the loose joke. The room fell completely silent when the director told the 400 campers that this was in fact no joke. We then safely escorted them back to their cabins in an organized manner. We also had round-the-clock security that night. The next day, the campers left as scheduled. The staff had to get the camp turned around for the next week. Normally, I cleaned with headphones in, but I did not that day. I constantly looked out for the men, wondering if I would be staring into the eyes of a criminal with every door I opened. They were captured within a week's time. As the police officers suspected, they were discovered in a large metal barn on a farmer's property. 
I've included news articles about the captures, and the barn looks exactly like a place a murderer would try to hide out in. Needless to say, we had a pretty in-depth review of our lockdown policy for future situations, if they were ever needed. Thanks for letting me remember my most terrifying summer. This is the plot to a a teen drama. Right? This is straight off of the screen. Spooky shit always happens at summer camps. Either spooky or sexy. Sometimes both. But that's what you're getting at a summer camp. Yeah, like that game we played that was, uh, they were uh, vampires, weren't they? Or zombies? They were attacking. The game we played that was first person, it was a camp, the last day of camp, and that guy ripped out the carburetor. You at a camp, and you were saying we is like you and I, the general we. And I was like, I did never heard about your camp stories, but I'd like to. I feel Uh, like we went to camp. Is that what you're talking about? Yes, the Corey. That's the one. Yes. Yeah, but spooky spooky and sexy stuff is going on. See, you get both. Well, and also, I mean, we covered the uh, the hermit up in Maine, and that was his kind of, he would go and get food from the summer camp. So you would know if you're out in the woods and you're like, oh, I need a building to hide out in. And you come upon a bunch mm-hmm. of buildings and think, oh, well, the campers are all, they're in their cabins at night. I can go in the gymnasium or in the storage building. Like, that would be a perfectly reasonable place for them to hide. How do we feel about, all right, counselors, <laughs> grab a flashlight and yeah. good luck. <laughs> All right, teens. Uh, good luck. Uh, see you later. Because you watch a movie, you would that would happen in a scary movie, and you as a viewer would go, they would never make teenagers <laughs> go clear the perimeter like a bunch of police officers. Oh no, no! It turns out, turns out Jenna and Co. <laughs> did just that. They Luckily, you didn't find them. Because what are you gonna do if you find them? <laughs> exactly. Just yell, I found them. Like. Y- <laughs> You just I, slam the door back shut and go, let's go. Let's I get out of here. I think you don't want to find I think what you do is get everybody into the gymnasium or wherever the common area is. You lock the fucking doors and then y'all stay up guarding those doors all night. That's what I thought it was going to be of, hey, we had this pizza party, this midnight pizza party. And instead of it going to one cabin, we just all stayed in the gym and just ordered pizza for everyone. No, nah, we they just... went searching for murderers. <laughs> Well, they were playing minute to win it game. Well, they were trying to stack as many ping pong balls as they could in a cylindrical tube. They all it's always ping pong balls. Oh, there's a lot of fucking ping pong balls involved in minutes to win it. Ping pong balls, feathers, and then like beans or beads or things that shoot all over the place. It's always all the shit that is like what do people in the UK call it? When stuff is like fiddly. It's very fiddly. What a phenomenal word. I I don't know. And it makes total sense. Ping pong balls from Love Island. Fiddly? It's too fiddly. Feathers? Fiddly? Beans like that shoot everywhere. It's too fiddly. I don't want to do it. One of those it. snake cans. That's fiddly. It's mm-hmm. all it's going all over the place. That's minute to win it is the king of fiddly games. <laughs> but yeah, you gotta do something to entertain these kids because you gather them all together and then there's this is a situation where you can't control the information either. Because you have a bunch of kids together and now all the counselors know. There's going to be whispers between someone where they're like, do you think he's in the cabin? Oh, we have to go check. Oh, there's Th- going to be campers that are like, we're going to go find him ourselves. And all of a sudden, Johnny's gone. And where's Johnny? Here's Johnny. Nobody <laughs> knows. He's he's off with an axe and in some kind of cabin. He's chasing somebody down. But yeah, you can't you can't keep a thumb on that. Those Mm-mm. kids are whispering. It takes one one single slip and they all know but it sounds like they had a fun time and and they the bad guys were caught somewhere else far away from the students and everybody was safe but they got a great story to tell too i'm telling y'all everybody sends in their stories and i'm always like i want to hear 
the other side of it. I want to hear like a, the camper talk about like how they were just playing minute to win it. And all of a sudden they learn that there are murderers on the loose. Yeah. They're like later on. They told us, you know, by the way, that when you saw those news headlines, we thought they were at the camp. You're like, I was at that camp. <laughs> was that yeah. when I was blowing those feathers? I could have been taken. Also, they weren't caught that night. Mm-mm. So everybody went to bed. <laughs> With just those little latches on your screen cabin door. <laughs> That'll keep, keep everybody out. out. <laughs> That's all it takes. Just one yeah, little. Just a little. <laughs> it's just a little. Um, hook. Yeah, they were willing to uh, run from the law, commit felonies. I'm sure the tiny little latch would I don't keep think them that's at stopping bay. them. No. <laughs> but if there's anything that will stop two men in their tracks, it is 400 rowdy kids playing right? minute to win it. <laughs> They open the door and they're like, "Now nah, I'm going to turn myself in. This is worse. I'm going <laughs> to go. Never mind. There's uh, too many beans. Or they just open the door and they're like, whoa, why are all these beans? And they just slip and fall. Then the campers are the ones that end up catching them. Oh, it's like a Scooby-Doo episode. It they would have got away yeah. if it weren't for those meddling kids. This is a very women. Scooby-Doo episode. <laughs> Especially like hiding in the middle of two people, which if everybody's listening, if you didn't know how you're supposed to sneak around, sandwich in. That's genius. That's I would never have thought of that. Yeah. You got to. The only place you don't want to be in the middle, human centipede. <laughs> Any other time, it's pretty good. She did say I learned from a horror movie. Not that one. Not that one. Different one. Oh, man. I don't. wish I could go back in time and not have watched that. I can't. You watched it? Oh, yeah. By myself. That's What's worse. wrong with me? <laughs> so much worse. You watched On it start my laptop, to finish? Like Christy Wallace. <laughs> Jesus. I don't know what I was doing. This was so long ago. Where, what was going on at the I don't time? Know. I can't even tell you. Tommy and I were together, but he wasn't. I lived. This was before we moved in together. So maybe he just went over and I was like, fuck it. I'm watching you weren't going to wait. I'm not going to wait for you to watch Human Centipede uh-uh. on my laptop alone. <laughs> just <laughs> sitting important. on the couch with my laptop watching Human Centipede. It's so foul. I've never seen the ones after that. And I've heard they only get worse. So what comes gonna. after there's a like centipede. five other human centipedes. At some point, it's no longer a centipede. It's got to be a millipede, it's a millipede. or the <laughs> caterpillar. There's something yeah. that goes on. It's a new type of, uh, what are they? What are they called? What are those? Body horror? No, the, oh. in, they're not insects. Do we call centipedes and millipedes insects? What kind of a bug is a centipede? <laughs> they're, they're like roly-polies or crustaceans, aren't they? Arthropods. Arthropods. What's they a roly-poly? I think that also is a roly-poly is that it says they aren't actually centipedes. I remember when I learned roly-polies are closer to lobsters than insects. Yeah, I think that's because it's an arthropod. And that was very jarring. Arthropod. A terrestrial crustacean. Yeah, roly-poly is a terrestrial crustacean. Wow. So what a it's title. Like- <laughs> Talk about a badass title terrestrial yeah. crustacean that sounds very official i think that the connection between a lobster and a roly-poly roly-poly has to leverage that to better its brand because right now it's just some bug and everyone's like ah kid put oh that down. no Stop. it's not i love roly-polies but it's not a lobster you're not like oh well it's i'll tell you what lobsters rebranded themselves because they used to be considered cockroaches of the sea mm-hmm. and were fed to prisoners because they were so plentiful in the sea and stuff where prisons would be. But then one day somebody said, we're rebranding the lobster. We're going to start saying it's a real rich delicacy. Now look at them. 
rebranded Rolly Police. They're so they're so swag that they don't even have a number next to them on a menu. It's like, were we the ones talking about, somebody was saying if wealthy people, or it might have been a YouTube video I was watching, they said, wealthy people don't say, oh, that person's rich. They'll go, oh, they're very comfortable. Oh, okay. They're like very comfortable. They and live me, a comfortable life. Mm-hmm. They're comfortable. You don't want to be like, they're so rich. And the lobster's like, I'm not, there's not, let's not put prices on it. It's just market. <laughs> it's just market price. And that's is there anything rich. that sends you into more of a panic than when you're like, fuck, <laughs> I don't want to be that person to ask what the market price is, but I'm also not trying to pay $300 for a lobster. <laughs> yeah. Because the answer is like one ounce is $78. And you're like, and well, it's- I, now I have to do math. So you've lost me. You've lost well, my business. And then when you ask, the if you say no, the shame is there. Oh, you can't. Yeah. Because yeah. you've asked. I mean, and at that point, if you're going to get it anyways, what's the point? Just be surprised when you get the bill. Don't ask and just, or don't get it is what I do. I'm like, salad, $17.95. All right, we're good there. <laughs> Let's do Market's that. Market yeah. price is terrifying. I, I shy away from the MP. Yeah. It gives me heart palpitations. Exactly. I don't I'm not trying to MP, but we'll say roly poly now. It's rebranded, y'all. If you see it, you're like, look at that high class bug. I want <laughs> look you to rolling uh, around, all curled up and shit. Are you dead? Are you alive? Who knows? The roly poly's like, oh, you all use legs? Ew, Ew. I'm I'm gonna roll. I just roll you, around. It's, it's so fun. much more efficient. I also people in the northeast call them pill bugs. Pill bugs. Okay. So if you're like, what are these two hicks talking about? (laughs) You might call them pill bugs. Well, I remember hearing them called doodle bugs as well. Doodle bugs, yeah. That's their scientific name. It sounds like a bit of a country nickname. Like, oh, come here, doodle Doodle bug. bug? Yeah. Roly poly just sounds like, (laughs) it's all roly poly. What's that? You know, it's the ones that roll around. Roly poly also sounds like a country name for something, though. Hey, roly poly. What you doing? Who were you with earlier? Roly poly and doodle bugs? I told you not to hang out with them. They're bad news. I'm country as fuck because I'm binging Friday Night Lights. Oh, yeah. Well. Who am I kidding? I'm like this all the time. It's not the TV show. <laughs> Friday Night Lights or not. Well, thank you so much, uh, Jenna, for sending that in. And to everybody that sent your stories in. If you have an odd but true story, maybe you've encountered Bigfoot, you've seen a UFO, you've had a brush of true crime, or you felt the presence of an otherworldly being, send them in at SinisterHood.com slash Freaky Friday. We love providing Sinisterhood to you at no cost. So if you like what you hear, consider supporting the show by donating to our Patreon. We're a small operation, creating this show for you by researching, writing, recording, and producing it ourselves. Any amount is sincerely appreciated and helps offset the cost of making and hosting the show. As a thank you, you'll also get some sweet perks like ad-free episodes, a Sinisterhood sticker, membership to our exclusive Patreon Facebook group for those in the rolling the airwaves and getting into it tier, a special shout out on the show, a monthly bonus mini-sode, and patron-exclusive audio and video content, including Am I the Asshole, Relationship Advice, Judge Christie, Dear Sinister, True Crime Headlines, and more. And patrons in the Getting Into It tier are also able to vote on a bonus content segment each month they would like to see live-streamed. We just dropped a bonus content this week of unpopular opinions, and man, (laughs) there were some good ones. There were. If you want a new way to make a PB&J sandwich, just jump on over to Patreon. We'd never in our lives heard of someone making it this way, but it makes sense. I forgot to tell you, I told Paris about that, and he went, what? And then he stopped, and he went, 
Honestly, I could see it. Yeah. No, I think it's it, it's ingenious. And people in the Facebook Patreon group have already Try. tried it and said, you're right. It's the way to do it. Sometimes unpopular should be popular. <laughs> you also have the fun perk of access to our Discord server, where you can connect with other fans in real time and discuss the latest in true crime, share personal ghost stories, or just post adorable pictures of your pets. We hop on occasionally, and we host monthly Q&As on Crowdcast, where you can ask us all your burning questions. This month's Q&A is when, Heather? It is on March 29th at 8 p.m. Central, and our bonus content live stream is on March 31st at 2 p.m. Central. Nice. For patrons not in the U.S., you also have the option to pay in pounds or euros, saving you the cost of conversion fee. Annual memberships for all tiers are also now available. Those that select this option will be rewarded with a free month of membership. For more details on all of this and specific member tiers, visit Sinisterhood.com and click Patreon on the top banner. So many of you have been tagging us in pictures of you sporting your sweet Sinisterhood merch. Keep those pictures coming. And if you want to get some cool Sinisterhood swag, like t-shirts, mugs, totes, and even clothes for your kiddos, visit Sinisterhood.com and click on shop on the top banner. The best thing you can do to help us grow is like, review, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please tell a friend who you think would like us to check us out. You can also share any episode by clicking the three dots in the top right corner and share topic-based playlists from Spotify by visiting Sinisterhood.com slash playlist. All of this means so much to us and really helps podcasts like us get more exposure. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod and like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. We're also on YouTube and TikTok at Sinisterhood Podcast. Christy, where are you at? Well, I'm on Cameo with you. You go to Cameo.com slash Sinisterhood. We couldn't make it easier. We also have it linked in our Instagram bio if you follow us on Instagram. And thank you to everyone who's asked for a cameo so far. We love doing them and we love the lovely responses we get back as well. It's super fun. And you can also find me on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace and never on Twitter and TikTok at Christy or GTFO. But go ahead and go follow because maybe one day I'll post something. You'll come back. I am on Twitter at MCK versus the world and I'm on Instagram and TikTok at Heather versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. See